On this episode of Resi Week, Access Network's getting into Wi-Fi, Japan's getting pushback on their 8K broadcast, and more education for the integrator. All that and more next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 30, recorded Monday, August 29th, 2016. 8K Networks. Resi Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Middle Atlantic Products. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Paul Williams, the VP of Solutions for Control 4. Paul, how are you this morning? Great. Doing well, thanks. What is it? Is it this morning where you are? Yeah, almost. It's almost. Close. Close. All right. Uh, we've also got Richard Fergosa, the principal and founder of Fergosa Design. How are you, sir? Mellow Uncle Richie West Coast greetings. Uh, this end of summer greetings. So. Fantastic. I'm glad. I've got a, got a quiet office. So. Very nice. Yeah, the kids are back in school for you already, aren't they? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, no, no cameos by Trey for this episode. Oh, I'm patiently awaiting the days that my oldest goes somewhere for something. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we've got my good friend Todd Puma, the president of the Source Home Theater in New York. Todd, how are you? Doing well, Matt. Thank you for having me on again. Hey, thanks for being here. Let's, uh, gentlemen, let's jump right in. And go to a story coming to us from the good folks over at CE Pro. Uh, this is about Access Networks, uh, who is a one of our underwriters and b a fantastic networking company. Um, they are providing the Eero Wi-Fi system, which is a DIY centric uh, Wi-Fi extender system. Uh, Richard, let's start with you. What does this mean, A, for Access Networks and their dealers, and B, uh, just for integrators in general? Um, one is necessary. I, I mean, to, it's, it's, it's a long and foregone conclusion at this point that uh, you have to have a networking background, a very good understanding of networking, at least to begin with, if you're going to be in this industry at this point. Um, I think that Eero itself is... Um, a, another tool for integrators maybe working, looking to start their way up. And, I mean, Hagai and, and the, the team over at, at, at Access are phenomenal. And Hagai's, quite honestly, been ahead of the curve the entire time. And so, I mean, there, there's a couple of companies out there that, that are, are doing this. But, um, you know, it made total sense streamlining things for the channel, making it easier for the integrator base that was there. And the reality is, is that although integrators – there's always the recommendation of putting in a robust network. There is still some price constraints that, that are to yep. it. And there needs to be a solution other than, you know, the, the, the tagline that we always have is that we really don't want you to trust your automation system to a router you can buy a target. Um, and so, you know, th this is a way for integrators to find a way into a uh, a, at least a slightly more robust solution. Eero takes the mesh approach to networking. It helps mm -hmm. deal with a whole lot of the the problems that are occurring. And really, this is just the technology that companies like Ruckus um, started out with um, yeah. in in terms of their beam path technology and and being able to deal with this. 
at the beginning, but there was a there was and is a price point and entry for that, and from the configuration side and needing a network professional and dot dot dot. This at least provides a um, kind of a point and click solution uh, mm-hmm. that is going to give them uh, the opportunity. And again, I mean, you can see it across the industry. Control Four, as an example, sees that networking is an important part <laughs> of deploying solutions. Come on. Um, <laughs> And so, I, I mean, it, 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 I, I saw it as a no-brainer. It was smart. And, again, it was once again, it was just a guy being a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, and I think it's going to be a great tool for integrators. I mean, I haven't had a chance to get my hands on Eero yet, but um, we, 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 we've had a chance to see what they're offering, um, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it. Todd, as, you know, obviously networks are, are the foundation and, and whatnot, um, does this just show that... You know, Access is realizing that not all of their clients can go with, you know, a, a ruckus or a very, you know, commercial grade um, wireless solution. And, and, and this is Access providing that, um, you know, smaller job or, or smaller integrator the opportunity to have robust Wi-Fi. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say smaller integrator. I would say uh, another solution to offer your customers, you know, based on a price point. Uh, not every client, no matter how many millions or billions or whatever they have in their bank account, uh, will need for every home a very robust network. If they're, say, living in primarily New Jersey uh, five days a week and then they go to New York City for a day or two days and they're in a one-bedroom apartment, um, this would be a great solution for that. I actually didn't hear about the story until today. I read about it for uh, the podcast. And just like Rich said, I'm definitely interested in seeing this in motion and working with it. I'm very impressed that Access Networks is understanding that this industry is changing. They're not sitting on the high end of the throne and saying, I'm not fighting my way to the bottom. They're fighting their way to stay in business like everybody else is. They're constantly learning from the change. They're constantly hearing with the customers and their consumers and their dealers and what everybody needs in order to keep the installation business growing. Not every client, like I said before, is going to need the robust network. You know, Control 4, they took over package, and they're smart for doing so. They're, they're a company now that does control automation that owns the whole point of all this is the network. They own the network. The first company to actually sit there and own the network is Control 4. And kudos to them for, you know, owning that end of the market and a manufacturer that I've been using for probably about four years, and I, I think they're great. Um, you know, Access Networks, again, they've been around. Rich, the first thing you pointed out to me when I became a Crestron dealer is I need to get an Access Network uh, network configuration. It's smart, it's easy, and it's it just works. And, you know, now that they have this and we're recapping what Rich told me originally, I think even I'm going to start um, checking this out and seeing what I could uh, offer my clients. Now, Paul, as, as the guys alluded to, obviously you guys last year – uh, obtained package and made a big splash with that. Um, seeing how the the industry changed, obviously, you know, part of your decision and, and desire to get into the network space was realizing that you know it is the foundation and it is the single most important part, in, in my opinion, of any control system is how that that technology and that information gets around. How important is it for dealers to offer? you know, a, a range of solutions, you know, in, in the realm of, you know, kind of what Access has done with Eero. I think it's extremely important, and I, I once again, I think Access is on, on the right path here, too. And uh, as mentioned before with our acquisition of Package, we've understood for a long time that the success of the connected home environment 
is absolutely dependent on that stable network to be in place. And unfortunately, a lot of dealers don't have a lot of the networking background, and, and that's just not their uh, what they know. And so they've gone into homes sometimes trying to use what was already in place, and sometimes that was the freemium uh, router that came with their service that the uh, service provider pr gave the home. And, and those are just total crap, to, to use it. And, <laughs> As low oh, as real I Paul. I, and, <laughs> Amen. And they, they, they don't work at all. And so in our testing, they, they would work well if I was uh, in a home and all I really needed was maybe three or four mobile devices to connect to the Internet. That's probably going to do fine. The moment I start adding uh, this need for high bandwidth uh, products to sit on that network and work reliably, and it needs to work instantly, as a, as a consumer, when I go to run something or to kick something off, I, I don't want to wait. We don't. We have low acceptance of lag times, and so the network is so essential to that. And we we saw that early on, and continue to uh, try to to build that package. This is just our next iteration of that to own this end to end solution. Uh, but I do believe that it's very important for dealers to have all you know different tools in their tool bag, so to speak, of different range pricing of products that are reliable and that can get in at different price points to serve that consumer. So, you know, one of the things Todd mentioned, you know, in a small uh, one-room apartment or, or a flat, uh, you, you don't need to go all completely out. You need something that's going to be reliable and work, mm -hmm. work nicely. I think Axis has done a great job with this with this product, just looking at the shots. The uh, industrial design looks really nice. It's something you wouldn't mind putting out in the open and have it uh, be there rather than some of the industrial-looking things that we've seen come out of the market. So, <laughs> Very, very good. All right, uh, moving on to a article we got from Strategy and our good friend Ted Green. Uh, promoters of 8K broadcasting in Japan are admitting that they're getting some pushback. Uh, they were already games in 8K. Um, this is, you know, the TVs are always, for better or worse, they're always kind of the, the big hot-button topic that everybody loves to talk about, especially now that we've gotten into very quickly advancing uh, resolution scales. Todd, as a, you know, really the main integrator on the show today, were you excited about 8K? No, absolutely you, not. You, we did haven't... you start sending, you know, emails to all your clients saying, hey, this is coming. Tokyo 2020, we're going to have four, or sorry, 8K coverage of somebody throwing a javelin. I, I try to avoid TV talk as much as possible. <laughs> for my clients. So that's not something that I would be sending over to them to upsell, you know, uh, more hardware with. Uh, televisions, you know, 4K, look at where we went from 2.0 to 2.2 chipset, which basically caused the whole industry for a loop because now you can't just upgrade your product. You have to upgrade that 2.0 TV. You got to mm -hmm. upgrade the hardware. You got to upgrade the whole chain of wiring, whatever it may be. It what became a headache. So let's get 4K right, let's stabilize that, let's broadcast 4K, let's get devices that broadcast 4K, and let's build, you know, a system that we could rely on versus just constantly keep on jumping ahead. You know, it's just a tool to sell. I want to sell, I want to sell, we need to make more money, but why don't we stabilize something, keep it consistent, and then offer that and keep our customers really happy versus constantly jumping them around where they're confused to even spend money. So yeah. we're actually stopping our customers from investing into us, or we have to build a better strategy to sell our customers and inform them uh, with all this new technology that's not stable out there. It's just too many questions, and you know what? I won't even go near this at all with the customers. I'll pretend it didn't even happen today. That's fantastic. You know, it, it's something that I've said for years, 
since 2K and 4K talk has started, is I, I would be happy just to get a full, you know, low compression uh, 1080p signal. Paul, is this something that, and obviously, you know, I don't want you to divulge where you guys are headed in internal discussions, but is this something that's on your, your radar? Is this something that you're looking at building switches for and, uh, you know, HDMI matrices and HD-based team matrices for uh, in the near future? Or is this something that we, you know, even you guys are looking at saying it's still a ways off? So it is still a ways off. We're looking at the chipsets, obviously. We need to stay... Um, at least in tune with what's happening so that we're ready when it hits there. Uh, we were one of the first to have a, a 4K line through the LEAF acquisition and uh, of, of video switching. And, but, but 8K still there. To, to Todd's point, we haven't, we haven't got over the hump of 4K. We still have dealers uh, in our network, and I know in other networks, that are sell, still selling uh, 1080p video switching. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're not anywhere near hitting the, concept or the, the, hitting the saturation point on 4K yet let alone talking about that next 8K generation uh, that's beyond there. And I, I agree with Todd. Let's let's get this thing some dwell time. Let's get things figured out. Uh, once again, the homes today that we're seeing are a combination of televisions. You have some 1080Ps in there. People are purchasing 4Ks as either they need more uh, or larger size or that they have some of their old TVs go out. But they're not. We don't see people wholesale going out there and saying, well, I'm dumping all my 1080P and moving to 4K. It's not working that way. Um, once again, it, Todd also brought this up. It's really the television manufacturers looking for ways to sell more televisions. And so this is, it was 3D, then it was curved televisions, then it's 4K, and 8K is just that next thing that you're looking mm-hmm. to uh, to sell a television with. We need, it, we need it to kind of stabilize a little bit here, but we'll stay in tune. We'll look at that. Uh, we base it on what the market needs. If we start hearing loud cries from people going, you got to have 8K, you got to have 8K, we'll, we'll be there because we'll be a bit on top of the technology. So. Of course. Very good. Richard, is this something where do you expect whenever 8K becomes a reality, is this something that you expect to see widespread adoption, or will this follow the same 4K, you know, slow, slow adoption, the replacement adoption uh, that for the most part 4K has? Well, you know, I mean, we've always looked to NHK as as um, really the inventor of this process. I mean, it's you go back to the original 1080p and, and the high depth that came out and seeing the gosh darn aquarium video forever at CES and <laughs> God knows what year. Um, but there's also one thing to consider that we didn't really talk about is, that, I mean, this conversation is from the consumer um, viewpoint, but you also have to remember there's broadcasters and it's content generation. And so... You know, you have the you have the television stations and the networks who have invested significant amount a significant amount of money just into the jump to HD. Mm-hmm. Then when they said, "Oh, by the way, we're going to four 4K," every newscast, every you know, every show that you're shooting, you have to swap out all your cameras for that point. So you oh, also yeah. have to be able to generate the generate it. So unless you know, I mean, think about coming back to the NFL and saying, "Yeah, I know you just bought these 4K cameras, but..." Go buy those 8K cameras now too, um, and you know you know you have that. You have the broadcasters. You have, um, you know, you have this, the the services. You know, Directv and Comcast and Time Warner, and all of these have to augment their backbone. And on top of it, you've got bandwidth to deal with. So you're not talking eight times the amount of pipe that you have to have to be able to get that signal 
to that 8K set in the first place. And so, you know, we're kind of sitting here going, wow, you know, it's 8K and it'll show this, show this, but nobody wants to watch, you know, it's like the early days of HD. Nobody wants to watch the only 8K channel with that same clip running hour after hour after hour. And so it's going to be that continual chicken and egg. I mean, I, you know, there, there's no way to stop the progress. Um, at the same time, um, the reality is, is, it, I don't really care about the TV anymore because what's happening is that we're looking more at the 100 million handheld devices mm -hmm. that people are purchasing. People aren't buying a TV every other year or doing a six-month upgrade plan through their, through their TV provider. Um, <laughs> and more and more, we're going to see that trend start to shift over. So HK will always be there in terms of pushing the technology and what it can do. Um, but I, honestly, I think we'll see more of it come across the technology in the computer sector where you would see a laptop that has 8K of resolution um, that's affordable much more quickly before you see a TV come down the line. Well, and I think you raised the the most important part that always gets lost in the, the TV conversation is it, it really comes down to the ability to get content, and sure, we'll be able to get it over the net and everything else, but you have to look at the telcos and how badly equipped they currently are for 4K, let alone 2K, and in a lot of you know locations or flyover country for even HD. They just don't have the copper or the fiber in the ground. And yeah, we can film it. Yeah, we can produce it. Yeah, your local TV station can spend, you know, X number of millions of dollars to get not only the cameras but the switching and all the, the stuff that goes into the studio to get you that nightly broadcast in 8K. But can they actually get it out to you? Because well, I don't think I don't think they can. Well, let's not forget the studios. They have to remaster everything. No, that's so, what I'm saying. Again, you 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 know, and again, live broadcast is a little bit easier. You've got the camera that comes in. But you know, you're you're going back to all the major movie studios who again are responsible for <laughs> copy protection and the closer <laughs> you get to the a true bit-for-bit bit copy of what a film was sold on, yep. the screams for copy protection from the studios will continue to increase. And so there's a whole lot of things that fight against it, and the reality is, is that um, the technology is great, but we are more and more hamstrung by um, technology that is controlled by attorneys, not by engineers. Yeah, very much That's so. That's the problem right there alone. Very much so. Well, moving to one of those small screens, as I can get my share going, uh, over on Residential Systems, uh, they are posted this article about the One Firefly UI University. This is uh, Ron Callis, I believe I'm saying that's, that correctly. That's correct. Yep. Um, it is his his marketing agency, and if you haven't met or connected with Ron, uh, definitely do it. He's a great guy. I've met him a couple of times, and we've chatted. Uh, quite a bit. He has uh, produced and, and just launched this new UI university which includes Control 4 and uh, it is a collection of 4K ready um, video products that you can use to essentially help sell and, and explain to your clients how different technologies work in your home. Uh, Paul, obviously Control 4 is one of their main partners in this. Um, can you, A, potentially give us a little bit of insight on how this came about, and B, just talk about the the benefits of this for, uh, for dealers and integrators? Yeah, so uh, Ron's a good guy. been been working different angles for a long time, been in the industry for a while. 
and uh, he came up with this idea, and it's it's really cool, kind of a great idea. He was looking at some of the things that that uh, consumers struggle with and homeowners, and so our dealers, uh, and I'll, so I'll put them into a generality, do a great job. In fact, they're fantastic of, of getting things to work correctly. They're jack of all trades. They make it work, uh, but a lot of times they leave the homeowner with the remote control. They handle the remote control. They go, all right, see ya. Hope it all works out for you. And they take off. And then, you know, they have some phone calls back and forth. And the homeowner's going, hey, well, how does this stuff all work? And what are the, what are the advantages? And what are the, some of the things I can do? And so they come up with these, these video training uh, solutions here. It allows the dealer to be able to brand themselves as part of that video, which is actually a really cool concept. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dealer really gets this, this great impression they can leave for their consumer going, hey, here's how, here's how the thing runs. Here's, uh, here's what you need to know. And I think it's it's filling a gap um, in what our dealers, uh, their skill sets and what they're able to do. And this, the training, I think, is one of those things for consumers. Not only that, but but even the ones that do a great job. I've told you while you were in, our, in your house, and I've done so much to it, you're completely overwhelmed in that first you know hour and a half that I'm talking to you, that by the time I leave, you've, you've remembered about 10 minutes of our whole hour and a half discussion. <laughs> and so this is a way for you to be able to go back without having to uh, necessarily call the dealer every time you have a question about how to operate the system. So I think it's a great solution. Yeah, I, it, it, from, you know, reading about it and I, I saw some of the, the lead up to it coming and it, it looked fantastic. Um, Todd, is this something that, you know, you see as a great benefit to, to essentially the end users? Because, yeah, it's great for the dealers because they're able to use them, but it really should help explain what it is we do and how certain systems work and the options available to to your clientele. Is this something that you see your clients, you know, taking advantage of? I, I really, it's not about what clients or all clients. I think it's just uh, some clients, right? Because some clients you don't want to give too much information for because the more information they get, the more questions they got. And then they also feel maybe that you necessarily didn't give them everything they needed. Now, with that being said, I believe that it should be done at the interim of this job, starting off educating the customers, you know, building expectations uh, from the start, and, and just kind of getting all the questions out of the way from the beginning. Then you have the middle of the process. At the end of the process, it's kind of just picking up a remote, and it should be so simple to use and so intuitive uh, based on the way that it's designed and implemented like by Rich. Uh, he builds this out that a two-year-old could literally use it, um, and it, it should be that simplistic. And ask, the customer asking you questions is good because the education and the relationship that you're building during the two-week shakeout period, as Rich would say, uh, it, it's, it's definitely a good relationship builder. If you did your job right at the beginning, the customer is going to be very satisfied and they're going to understand the expectations that you set from the beginning. Um, with doing this video, I would have to see it to suggest it or possibly say if I would use it. But based on what I'm hearing, it's going to be a good tool for some integrators, but I, I really believe this should be done from the beginning, not at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. Very true. It's uh, Richard, how do you see tools like this? Is it something that you know integrators should just dive in and take advantage of every tool they have available? Is it something they should cherry pick based on you know their clientele? Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, a little simpler as that. You know, an integrator does, and and Paul. Nailed it. Integrators are great at integrating. That, that's their job. That's their bread and butter. They're not always the best at the documentation, the end of documentation side, which is, you know, you don't want to cause somebody to have to pull up their Google Foo 
to figure out, you know, if I pressed, um, you know, these three buttons in sequence and I pull up a whole new set of features or an advanced feature or something like that. I mean, there's there's only so much that we can process, you know. I mean, it's, it's like when you buy a house. I mean, you know, I've got a really nice oven and a microwave, but I don't remember everything the darn thing does. You know, I know I've got a popcorn <laughs> button. What the heck does that do? And it may have been explained to me four times, but I forget. I'm getting old, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so... Um, I what I like about the concept is that um, it provides a service of replicatable tasks that you should normally be doing during the the checkout period. And again, Todd and I, you know, we work primarily in bespoke systems, so you know, there, there there's a different nature to that. You know, we're we are we are we're we're sitting with the client and they're telling us what their list and their lifestyle is, and then we provide a tailored solution. Um, we can't necessarily do a thousand of those in a month. Now, there are integrators who are built to do several hundred systems a month, and they don't necessarily have the ability um, to have a tailored handbook for each one. It's a great theory, but the problem is, I mean, there's only so much that you can do during during that time. But if they can go ahead and deploy it with a system that is much more of a configurable or a, a similar system that they're deploying, say, in a track home or in a, in a building situation, they can provide that link very quickly with, here's your system, here's a tutorial, take it at your own pace, and you have something professionally um, shot. As opposed to in the old days, and you know, I'd sit there with my Microsoft Word and Photoshop, and I put together and take screenshots and everything. That's time-consuming. There's a whole lot of time involved in that. So this allows some efficiency. It allows a layer of customer service, um, and by partnering with the manufacturers, it just raises the bar for everybody. It is it is right. a more professional, polished end to a project, and by working with one Firefly in that. And again, they're a marketing company. Their job is to take all the stuff that you've done and package it very nicely in a relatable fashion. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it has merit. If, if nothing else, it causes companies to make sure that they are maintaining or increasing their professional their professional deliverables. Well, and that, that leads me into my kind of, not a wrap-up question on this one, but a bit of a wrap-up question. How important is it, because, you know, just as Paul said right off the top, integrators are great at integrating. They're very good at making stuff work. Their professionalism and their reporting and all their documentation usually leaves a little something to be desired. Does a product like this raise the bar across the board to, you know, somebody like myself, if I all of a sudden have a website full of, 4K ready, highly produced, shot in Hollywood, uh, videos explaining the systems and the types of things that my company provides. What does that do to my competition? Does that instantly raise the bar? I hope so. I, you know, again, I mean, the, the reality is if you're the guy who comes in and you sell it and you say, by the way, we're done, and here, I just sent you an email or a text, and here's a hyperlink to all of your system operation. Now you can use it or you don't. I mean the system should be easy to operate. But again, it, it is is providing the service after the sale. Um, mm -hmm. And it is providing that one extra thing that separates you from your competition. Now again, the, the whole purpose is that I would hope that it would inspire. Um, it would hopefully cause collaboration. But if the end result is that it just increases competition, then yeah, I, you know, as a business owner, you should be focusing on doing everything possible to snare as much of the market as you can. And if it's something like that that sets you apart, 
you know, again, Todd's known for his wrecks. You know, that's that's something that is his calling card. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he's he, there's there's several things that he does that are um, an example that I think uh, that other integrators should be following. And if they don't, just more business. Um, and that's the way that I look at it, and especially in this day and age right now. If you're not using software tools, and if you're not, you're not using collaborative tools to better run your business, um, you just can't do it the way you did 20 years ago. You just can't, and you're going to be out of business. Very, very true. All right, on to our last article of the day. Uh, Clear Controls is straddling the custom and DIY markets. This comes to us from CE Pro. Uh, they're offering dealers new revenue streams and uh, essentially providing uh, a couple of things. One of which is a essentially a portfolio of compatible products that work with their their uh, control system to provide homeowners with the ability to go online and essentially purchase a, a select number of uh, DIY friendly products that they can install and make work with their system. The dealer doesn't need to be involved in the sale in any way, uh, but they do get a portion of the sale from uh, a revenue portion. This seems to be something that looks really, really good um, and offers a lot of flexibility, shall we say, to the homeowner. Um, Paul, is this something that uh, A, you think will be a huge movement in the market and how much does this help uh, dealers going to builders and, and, and the wider market share? Well, I, I certainly think it's interesting when the, uh, when the article came out last week, we, we looked at it real carefully and tried to understand a little bit better about what they were doing. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting model. Uh, for me, it'll be interesting to see how dealers uh, grasp onto this. Um, the the downside, and this is one of the things that you don't glean from the article, but one of the things that would be interesting to know, maybe one of the other panelists know this as well, Todd or Richard, is that um, if if I'm if the if the homeowner is purchasing this product through their website, uh, the the dealer is getting a small portion of that sale. It said, but if that homeowner ultimately has problems either installing the product or with its operation after, um, who's handling the service on that? Is do I call as a consumer? Do I call Claire or do I call the dealer? And if so, is the dealer really happy to help me out? I mean, he's going to because that's 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 their business. But <laughs> if I get a lot of those calls, I'm suddenly starting to think this relationship may not be a great relationship because I'm not getting my cut out of this thing. Um, and that's the questions I don't I don't know that, how they're structuring that. You didn't glean that I, from the article. I believe well, that I believe based on what Delia is trying to go for here, based on numerous conversations with her last year about this coming, you know, uh, to market, uh, she did a lot of market research. She asked a lot of dealers. This came from, you know, dealers. Uh, you know, Sonos and other DIY products are basically being taken away from those middle market dealers, and they're not really making anything from it anyway. Uh, this is a way for product to be sold it's attached to the id number of the dealers whatever id and then from there they're expecting the customer to come to you and ask you for the service if they can install it so this is a way that the customer feels they have some control because the customer feels you know this day day and age there's a lot of integrators out there there's a lot of information being thrown out around uh the uh, this industry and there's a lot of good dealers and there's a lot of bad dealers and with this it gives the customer some control that might have trust issues 
and they could buy the product from this web link. The dealer gets a little bit of money, and ultimately, they, Claire is probably depending on you or the customer to come to the integrator that originally installed the system. Because again, this is supposed to be an attachment. So they already had a system installed by say, my company source home theater. Then from there, it's already been implemented. Now the customer wants to add to that solution, make it a little bit more customizable uh, for their needs, add lighting, shading, or wherever it may be. They go to the web link, attaches to the dealer's account that already closed out the job. And then from there, you know, hopefully the end user would want the dealer to come back and install the product for them. So it, it's kind of an easy way, and it's also a nice little probably shock when you get a call from a customer and you didn't even know what was going through. You get a little money in your you know, bank account, and it, also you get a service call or an added service for this new product that they just purchased from the web link. Um, again, it's, it's, it could be a double-edged sword uh, with our business model and what I do. You know, it's something I would be afraid of, but with the other dealers that are dealing with this currently and aren't used to making, uh, you know, large revenues off product manufacturers, then this would be something that they would be okay with. And I know a lot of dealers that would love this. Yeah, it, it, that being the case, and I think that sounds it sounds interesting um, and sounds like something could be valuable, especially, at, you know, one of the things you mentioned was, was builders. And so for a builder's perspective, uh, having a solution that I can sell to a homeowner and say, you know, part of this you're not completely tethered to the dealer for everything on it. Mm -hmm. There is there is some power in that. Uh, that's one of the things that does scare uh, some consumers from uh, looking at, at smart home technology. Is that you know they've heard the horror story says I'm I'm now tethered to this dealer. Anytime they do anything, I I pull out a hundred dollar bill every time something happens. And uh, <laughs> so this this would give them maybe some peace of mind of thinking that uh, or believing that there's there's a, a better way for it. So it could be interesting. We'll we'll watch it closely. And I also think it it gives and again having having not seen kind of behind the curtain on it, I think it also gives a little bit of um, peace of mind to the consumer because they know what smart home devices will work with their system out of the box, in theory, um, opposed to hopping on Amazon and seeing the plethora of of products that are available and not knowing if it's something that hopefully they can install themselves or if it's something that they need to get an integrator out to do, or if it's something that they, you know, just can't have work with it. Uh, Richard, do you see any any big upside to this? I do, and it's funny for me when I read it and, and kind of talking about it more. I think the part that fascinates me is the the psychology of sales aspect of it. The 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 um, the way that we consume product and the way that that buying uh, trend. Has changed just in the last five years. We're we're in the era of Amazon Prime, and mm -hmm. pretty soon a drone just dropping off your purchase that you made at three o'clock in the morning, and it'll be there in four hours. And it it um, it it supports what we're seeing more and more, which is the immediacy of the sales process and the impulse buy of the sales process. Which again, I find it fascinating. Just just the human element of it and how we purchase products. And you know, Amazon Prime really just came up. You know, I mean, it's it's almost the equivalent of like a dash button for <laughs> for you know adding <laughs> onto your system. Um, because for a lot of reasons is is that we are becoming more and more integrated. I, I'd say all of us, you know, I mean, I shop on Amazon, I shop online. I have lots of instances where I don't really want to deal with somebody. 
I just want what I want. And if I can do it at my leisure without having to worry about it, the next thing I know it's delivered. And theoretically, it then just becomes a, you know, a, a clicked in piece. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be following this closely because I would like to see kind of the metrics of from the purchase to the installation, warranty issues, customer confidence, all, all the things that go along with the sale. And, and I'm sorry, the life of the sale as opposed to the sale itself. Um, I find it fascinating. I mean, I do. I mean, stuff like that I geek out on, um, you know, because that's, you know, that's the fun part is, is you know, how, how do you inspire that sale? And so, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And I, I think, you know, once they get the metrics back, it'll, it'll be interesting to see that data they ever release it. Very good. All right, gentlemen, that pretty much wraps it up today. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Let's start from the top. Uh, Paul, where can people connect with you? So they can uh, connect with me over email. It's pwilliams at control4.com. Um, if they want to learn more about Control 4, they can just come to control4.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Richard, uh, everybody should know how to find you, but for the the couple that don't, where can they find Uncle uh, Richard? For those watching on uh, whatever media device that you have, uh, at rfregosa on Twitter, uh, Fregosa Design. In uh, two weeks, you'll see us uh, with AV Nation uh, running around the halls. You'll also see me with CEPro.com, and also as one, along with Todd, as one of the uh, AV tweets as part of the social media. So uh, you'll, you'll be, in about two weeks, well, I'm sure I'll be planning. All over the place. <laughs> Very good, Todd. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Uh, where can people connect with you? You can find me on Twitter at Todd Anthony Puma. Uh, you can also find me, like Richard said, as a CD of Tweep this year, and also residentialsystems.com. Very, very good. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. For myself, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and just about every other social platform there. Uh, but more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv. You'll find this show as well as a variety of other shows uh, in topics that we cover. When you do visit the site, please make sure you check out our underwriters. They uh, support us, and we're very thankful for it, and we'd like you to support them. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week of Resi Week.